Last week I told you that I had some time away on a study leave in which I was praying and uh, working through a number of issues with the Lord. And I mentioned last week two specifically. One, that we'll be doing the book of Revelation in the fall and that God really seems to want to talk to us uh, as a congregation kind of about the bigger picture, about what things are coming in the future, about how God interacts and operates with humanity. And so I am nervously looking forward to that time in Revelation. I also told you last week that the Lord kind of, uh, it was a surprise to me. We spent a lot of time on my study leave talking through racial issues and a lot going on with COVID-19. Now we talked last week about some of the things related to race as it connects to worship and God wanting and desiring a diversity uh, of worship. This week I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how some of the things that I felt like the Lord was saying about COVID-19 connect to our passage in Malachi. So last week we were in a passage in Malachi about worship and we talked about worship This week, we're in a passage in Malachi 2 that I think has a connection to what's going on in our world today with regards to this pandemic, and specifically how we as Christians are supposed to think about this pandemic and how we're supposed to act in the middle of it. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 778. While you're turning, let me say, the book of Malachi has always intrigued Christians. And the reason for it is, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And there's something very intriguing about sort of reading the final book that closes the Old Testament, and then in your Bible you turn the page and you see the New Testament and you start into uh, the amazing 27 books of the New Testament. And Malachi, in many ways, functions as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Malachi summarizes some of the major themes of the Old Testament while preparing us for what we will hear about those same themes in the New Testament in a sort of broader and deeper way. So it is with our passage today. Let's look at it, Malachi 2 verses 1 to 9. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, Says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festal sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was found in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. 
For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty, so I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. It's a heavy passage. It's a serious passage, and I believe the Lord has a serious message for us today. Now, I told you Malachi in many ways functions as a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tom took us through the first part of Malachi 1, which talks about God choosing Israel. Choosing Israel is a major Old Testament theme, and it prepares the way for the New Testament idea that all those who are believers in Jesus are chosen by God and loved by God. Last week, we looked at the passage on worship, also a major Old Testament theme, and the end of Malachi 1 kind of summarized what God wants in worship, but that was the bridge towards speaking about James 2 and what God wants in worship from us today as Christians and believers in Jesus. He wants no racism and no favoritism. He wants a diversity of worship, all voices, every tribe, nation, tongue, and people praising his name together. This week, we get to a passage on priests. Priests are also a major Old Testament theme. And the book of Malachi, in many ways, summarizes what the Old Testament has to say about the Levitical priesthood, Levi, or the Levitical priesthood, Levi is the tribe from which all the priests come. And in Israel, 12 tribes, one of them was the tribe of priests. That was Levi. That's why Levi is mentioned in this passage. But what's going on in Malachi 2 is it's preparing us for what the New Testament is going to say about the subject of priests. And in the New Testament, instead of priests coming from just one tribe or being biologically descended from one ancestor, 1 Peter 2 tells us as Christians that we are all priests. 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you hear the phrase, a chosen people? Malachi 1. <clears throat> Do you see the phrase, declare the praises of him who called you? That's worship, Malachi 1. A royal priesthood. That's what we're talking about in Malachi 2. And what Peter comes along to tell us is this passage in Malachi 2, in the Old Testament was speaking specifically of biological descendants of a man named Levi, but today is speaking not just to pastors or people in religious ministry, speaking to all Christians. All of us here are priests in God's kingdom. And so what we want to understand is this passage, as it relates to our role as priests, specifically as we think about this pandemic 
that our world finds itself in the midst of. Now, in order to understand what our role with regards to COVID-19 is, we need to understand sort of the origin story, if you will, for the priesthood that Malachi is referring to. Because Malachi is talking about a covenant with Levi, which is not really a covenant we spend a lot of time talking or thinking about. We talk about the Mosaic covenant or the Davidic covenant or the new covenant or the covenant with Abraham. But God also made a covenant with Levi. And understanding that covenant will help us to understand how we as Christians, as heirs of that covenant, are supposed to behave and act in the midst of the world in which we find ourselves today. So if you'll stick with me, I'd like to go through the origin story for our priesthood. The origin story for the priesthood being talked about here in Malachi 2, you have to go back to the beginning to Genesis 34. Now in Genesis 34, we have a story about a man named Levi. Before there is a tribe of Levi, there is a person named Levi. And Levi is Abraham's great-grandson. So Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Of course, it's their wives that are giving birth. Uh, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The oldest is named Reuben. The second oldest is named Simeon. And the third oldest is named Levi. Reuben, Jacob has two wives. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi all have the same mom, Leah. And Leah not only has sons, she also has a daughter named Dinah. Now, they're living in the land of Canaan, which will become the promised land. But at the time they're living there, they live among the Canaanites, not Jewish people who are living in the land. And there's a man named Shechem who finds Dinah to be beautiful. And he chooses, it's a painful, difficult story in Genesis 34, to sexually assault her. He rapes Dinah. Although he is doing this horrendous act, he's a prince of a city there and he ends up falling in love with Dinah. And so he decides he wants to marry her. Well, Simeon and Levi are incensed, and rightly so, at the way he's treated their sister. So they go along with the marriage idea, but they're never planning to allow this marriage. It's all part of a plot to get revenge on Shechem for what he did. And so they go along and they come up with a plan. I'm not going to go through all the details of the plan. But as is often the case... When someone gives way to wanting revenge, the revenge gets out of hand. And Simeon and Levi, instead of just killing Shechem, they kill Shechem and his dad and all the men of the city and they take all the women and the children in that town as plunder. And their father Jacob is upset with them. They've let their zeal, their passion for trying to do right by Dinah, to get out of control, and they themselves have become murderers to people who had nothing to do with the crime against their sister. 
Jacob's angry with them. He's also angry with them because later on, a similar but different situation arises with another of their siblings. Although this time, instead of being zealous for their sibling, for his honor, they actually are the perpetrators of the crime. You see, Simeon and Levi have another sibling, this one a brother, whose name is Joseph. And instead of being zealous to protect Joseph like they were zealous about Dinah, they decide they want to murder their brother Joseph. When Reuben finally talks them and the other brothers out of it, they decide to sell Joseph into slavery where he experiences a milder form of sexual harassment, similar to what their sister went through in in a milder way. And Jacob is angry because of the hypocrisy. You did this for your sister and then turned right around and did the same thing to your brother. And so in our origin story, we get to Genesis 49. Jacob's about to die, and he speaks prophetic words from God over each of his children. Listen to what he says about Simeon and Levi, the second and third born. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Wow. That's their dad talking about them. Our origin story is not going very well so far. Their own father curses Simeon and Levi because of their out-of-control zeal and their partiality in how they executed that zeal being for their sister and against their brother. And Jacob says, there's a curse on you. Now Simeon does become a tribe, but ultimately Simeon gets absorbed into Judah and this curse comes to pass. Levi, however, becomes the tribe of priests. So what happened? How did we go from a cursed ancestor to being the one tribe through which the holy men of God who led the Israelites through the priesthood and being Levites, which is assistant priests. How did this happen? Two more stories in our origin story. The second story comes to us in Exodus 32. For this, we've got to fast forward 430 years. So after Levi and his brothers sell Joseph into slavery, the rest of the family follows because of a famine in the land. While they're living in Egypt, the Egyptians begin to racially oppress the Israelites and they put them into slavery and bondage. 
So horrific is the slavery that the Israelites are in that they cry out to the Lord over and over again. And finally, God sends them a deliverer, Moses. And Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, knock this stuff off. Quit treating these people like slaves. Let them go. Pharaoh refuses to obey. And so God strikes Egypt with what? 10 plagues, 10 plagues. He strikes the earth to tell Pharaoh he's not going to put up with disobedience. He's not going to put up with racial oppression and with slavery and discrimination. He sets the Israelites free, calls them to himself, leads them to Mount Sinai, makes a covenant with them and says, you will be my people and I will be your God. They agree to the covenant. God says, all right, let me spell out the rest of the stipulations. He calls Moses up the mountain to talk to him. And lo and behold, what do the Israelites do? We don't know where this Moses guy went. So they build a golden calf and they bow down and worship an idol. It is perhaps the most stunning sin that you could have imagined. You just got picked to be the people of God and you're choosing to worship a golden calf. Well, God looks at this extreme example of idolatry in heaven and he's furious and he sends Moses back down the mountain and we pick up the story in verse 38. Moses saw that the people were running wild. So they're having idolatry and then this great party to celebrate their idolatry. And that Aaron who is a descendant of Levi, he's a priest, had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So Moses stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the what? Levites rallied to him, all the descendants of that man Levi. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you, speaking to the tribe of Levi, have been set apart to the Lord today for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. Now, interestingly, this story in Exodus 32 ends with this verse. And the Lord struck the people with a what? With a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So picture it. This great sin of idolatry God is angry at the sin and so he sends a plague on the children of Israel. The, the plague is raging through Israel. The tribe of Levi stands up and are zealous for God's honor and choose God over their brothers and their sisters and their friends and everybody else. And they say, we are with the Lord. And they go through and in their zeal, they sort of undo what their father Levi did wrong. They were zealous for the Lord and they restricted their zeal to just what God told them to be zealous about. And God says, as a result, 
I'm going to make a covenant with you. One more story in our origin story of this priesthood. We go forward just a little bit to Numbers 25. The Israelites, after refusing to go into the promised land, wander around in the wilderness. At one point, they come near Moab. Moab are not Israelites. It's another country near Israel. And the Moabites realize that the Israelites are a dominant power and that God is with them. And they understand the only way to stop these people would be to cause God to become angry with them. And so what the Moabites do is they get all their women together and they encourage them to seduce Israelite men and sexual immorality becomes rampant in Israel. God is furious with this sexual immorality and he sends a plague on the children of Israel. The leadership gathers together, Moses and Aaron and others, and they've gathered an assembly and they are weeping because of the disobedience of the children of Israel. While they're weeping together, an Israelite man brings a Moabite woman into a tent right in front of the leadership that is bemoaning this egregious sin going on in Israel and he chooses to have sex with her in front of them. And we pick up the story in Numbers 25. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, so Phinehas is a Levite, the priest saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Next slide. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. This is how the tribe of Levi becomes the tribe of the priesthood. But the problem is we get to Malachi and God says in Malachi 2, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. God's point is to the Levitical priests, look, you got your priesthood by being zealous for my honor, by recognizing that what did God do to Egyptians when they treated the Israelites poorly? He sent a plague. What did God do when there was idolatry in Israel? He sent a plague. What did God do when there was sexual immorality in Israel? He sent a plague. And the tribe of Levi got their position as priests because they stood up in the midst of those plagues 
And they chose to honor God's name. And they were zealous for his name like he was. And they confronted the Israelites on their sin. And they chose not to honor their brothers or their wives or their husbands or their, or their kids or their friends. They chose God over everybody else. And God says that's what a priest does. That's what it means to be a priest. That's what it means to be a representative of God. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Well, God says, look, when people sin, when they refuse to honor my name, I send curses. That's what I do. It's what he's done throughout history. Now we look around the world today and the whole world is struggling with what we call COVID-19. Now that's a very nice word. But if you ask me, and this is my opinion, COVID-19 is a plague. It's a plague from God. Look around the world in which we live. And again, we may not know much about the rest of the world. Look around this country. Do you see the kinds of racial inequities that God was angry about in Egypt? Do you not see those going on in our country today? Do you not see the idolatry that was rampant in Israel present all throughout America today? Do you not see sexual immorality rampant in this country today? What does God do when people choose to embrace those sorts of things? He sends plagues. That's what he does. He does it throughout the Bible. The word plague, English word plague, is used in the Bible around a hundred times. Do you know who is the cause of all of those plagues? One person, God. He's the one that sends them. Now you might look around today and you go, well, is COVID-19 really a plague? I think it is. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it got to where it is, but I see God trying to get the attention of the whole world. I see God trying to say, hey, look, I'm not joking. Pay attention. I look at God looking at this country and saying, wake up. Wake up to what's going on all around you. Now, the medical community has defined plague very specifically. It's a bacterial infection, most commonly known as the Black Plague. It got its title from a disease that killed 50 million people in Europe. But the Bible defines plague much more broadly, so much so that one dictionary gives us this definition of a plague. Any contagious epidemic disease that is deadly. Does that sound familiar? And what God is trying to say is, look, I was not happy about this stuff when it happened in Israel. I'm not happy about it now. Now you can ask the question, well, why didn't God send a plague in 2019 or 2018 or 2017? You can see plagues. There are plagues throughout history. We have the Black Plague. We have uh, smallpox. You have cholera. You've got the Spanish flu. 
God has not stopped sending plagues. I don't know why he picked 2020 as the year to send it, but my job is not to figure out why this year. My job is to pay attention and to ask the question and say, okay, God, if this is a plague, how are priests, you and I, how are Christians supposed to act in the middle of a plague? And God says, well, what did Levi do? What did the tribe of Levi do? And so there are two things that I think we're supposed to do in the midst of this pandemic, this plague. The first is resolve to honor God's name. And the question we all have to ask is, in the midst of this plague, what and who are we zealous for? Are we zealous for God in the midst of this? Are we zealous to just get our lives back to normal? Are we zealous for our finances? Are we zealous about our jobs? Are we zealous about what we think is going on in the media? Please hear me correctly. I don't think it honors God to call this a hoax or a conspiracy or to think, I think the reason God is punishing the earth is because of sin. The reason why it's not worse is because God is merciful. The reason why it's not killed more people is because God doesn't want to kill anybody. God's trying to get our attention and please listen, we're gonna get to the book of Revelation and if you think what's going on now is serious, wait till you see what is coming. And God's trying to say, look, get ready. I'm trying to get your attention. And the question is for you and I, what are we zealous for in the midst of this? What are we passionate about? In other words, what are you talking about? Are we spending all our time talking about media stuff? Are we spending all our time slandering the government? Are we spending all our time talking about our own finances? Are we bemoaning the fact that we're not getting to play sports or we're not gonna be able to go back to school or, or church has all sorts of difficulties? Or are we zealous for God's honor? Are we standing up and saying, hey, look, Pay attention. God is up to something. God is doing something. God is a just God. God is a righteous God. My goodness, the fact that this is not doing more damage, how kind is God? I used to hear this phrase growing up. I don't know if you ever heard it or not. But considering the idolatry, the racial discrimination, the sexual immorality in America, People used to say, if God doesn't judge America for her sins, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't pick one city which is sexually immoral and unhospitable and full of arrogance and punish them and then completely ignore what America is doing. To be zealous for God's name is to recognize God is up to something here. That in God's sovereignty and power, I don't know how all of the medical science works. I don't understand where this disease came from. I'm not sure how it got to where it is, but I don't need to answer all those questions. To be zealous for God is to stand up in the middle of this and say, wherever this came from, this is God striking the earth. This is God trying to get our attention. The second thing that a priest should do in the midst of a plague, verse nine, 
So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. That word partiality is our word favoritism from last week. And what God is saying is, do you remember Levi's sin? It's that he was zealous about Dinah and not zealous for Joseph. He chose to obey some laws and not others. He sought to honor his sister, but then disobeyed God's laws about revenge on those who don't commit sins and chose to sell his brother into slavery. And God says, you priests in Malachi, you're going back to what your forefather did wrong. And the question for us today is are we showing partiality in matters of the law? Maybe you're zealous, zealous for protecting the rights of the unborn. Good. Abortion is a sin that God hates. But are you also, and am I, as zealous and passionate for racial justice, for making sure that there is no favoritism, that people are treated in the right ways. God says, don't just be zealous for one set of rules and not another. Are you zealous about racial issues going on in the country and you want to talk about those things? Good. Are you also zealous about sexual immorality regardless of a person's skin color that God says there is a certain way that I want you to engage with sex and are we as just as zealous about those things? Maybe you're zealous about sexual immorality and God says, are you zealous about submitting to government? Maybe you're zealous about submitting to government, but are you zealous about getting rid of idolatry? Maybe we stand up and talk about all this stuff going on, but we're not bothering to think about the fact that in our hearts, we think the cure for this is not repentance, but a vaccine. Now, I hope God provides a vaccine. I really hope. But no vaccine is going to protect a sinful people from an angry God. We'll just be on to something else. Do we think our money is going to save us? Do we think our planning skills, are we committing these sins of idolatry? What God says is I need some priests, Christians, who will stand up in the middle of the plague and say, all of this is wrong. Not just pick the one thing we don't like. Not just pick the one thing that our family members are willing to talk about. The tribe of Levi said, we don't care what our brothers or our fathers or our sisters or our neighbors, we don't care what they're doing. We're for the Lord. And what God's looking for in the middle of this pandemic is some people who will stand up and say, I'm against all the sins. I'm against it everywhere. And I don't care if my family doesn't like this sin or they want to talk about that sin. I want to know what God wants done. To be zealous for God's honor in the midst of this is to say, you know what? The person I want to talk about the most is not the media or the president, or the governor, or the CDC. The person I want to talk about the most is God. And the thing I want to do 
is I want to stand up to my non-Christian friends and say, look, please, he's not kidding. Please, he's being merciful. Please, there is salvation. Look at Levi. He had a terrible start. He chose what was right and God blessed him. I want to have the courage to stand up to other Christians and say, I'm against that sin too, but let's not forget about this one. And I'm against this one too, but let's not forget about that one. And to be honest, and this is hard, I want to stop pointing my finger at everybody else and I want to ask, okay, Lord, why is this plague coming on me? What is it about my life, Lord, that you're trying to get my attention about? I want to stand up and say, Lord, if it wasn't for Jesus, I should be dead. And what are the thoughts and attitudes of my heart that you're trying to get my attention with? The right role for a priest, a Christian, in the midst of a plague is to be zealous for God's honor. None of us are as zealous as we ought to be. So I'm going to close in prayer. Pastor Josh is going to come up and lead us in a time of confession. If you're like me, let me then tell you what's going to happen during this time of confession. You're going to have a little voice in your ear that's going to want to make you think about everybody else's sins. And you're going to think about all the other people who maybe need to hear this sermon. And you're going to have latched onto one word like abortion or like racial issues or like sexual immorality, or like idolatry, and you're going to want to pray during that time that other people start to finally realize this is a sin. I know because I was in the last service, that's exactly what happened to me. Let me just encourage you. This is a time to go before the Lord and say, Lord, how am I not the kind of priest you want me to be? So Josh, why don't you come on up here? I'll close this in prayer, and then he'll lead us in time of confession. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages